Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. And this is Jason from the band Palooka, and you are listening to the concerts that made us.
Glenn and Jason, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thank Hello. you. Uh, we're really happy to be here. It's great to have you guys now. How are you doing today? I, I, think, we're, I think we're doing pretty good. Yeah, it's actually a, a nice day in Seattle for a change, so that's, a, that's good. <laughs> right, right. I've never been now, but I've always imagined it's very similar to Irish weather, nothing but rain and wind and stuff like that. <laughs> You know, we do sort of have one season between like November and April that is 90% of the time lower clouds, at least some drizzle and uh, punctuated by uh, some big storms that roll in off the ocean and uh, occasional snow. And uh, but I think people get surprised when they're here for the summer. We have really nice summers. And uh, like today, we get these really nice, cool, clear days, which are uh, pretty awesome. Right. I'm sold. I'm moving to Seattle. So, <laughs> well, and maybe we could trade places because I've always wanted to go to Ireland and uh, haven't quite made it yet. Um, hopefully, by the end of next year. Oh, that'd be pretty cool. Pretty cool. And uh, we opened the show with "Save Yourself," which Paluka released on 13th of October. It's the title track off your upcoming EP. We'll be premiering two more tracks later. But what can you tell us about "Save Yourself"? Um. You know, this this EP uh, was in large part written during uh, the pandemic. Uh, we were in the process of recording a full-length album when COVID hit. We had six songs in some sort of state of completion. And um, we ended up, through COVID, going in and finishing it in masks, one of us at a time. Um, and five of the songs we released on our previous EP. Um, save yourself comes from that time during COVID where we decided, well, we didn't want to stop in our tracks, uh, no pun intended. So we started sending tracks back and forth. Um, you know, I may start writing a guitar part of a song and put it to a click and then send it to Jason and Jason would add drums to it. And then we'd trade that to other people. And I have a home studio. And so I'd, I'd assemble it in, in pro tools. And, uh, so this EP and uh, Save Yourself in particular came out of that period. And I was literally living on an island uh, during COVID on a three acres by myself. And the isolation and as well as what was going on in the world, you know, this, this concept of we're on our own a little bit and um, we're, we're navigating this unique environment. That's where the song started from. And then by the time I gave it to the rest of the guys in the band, uh, they added so many great things and made it so much better than what I brought in the room uh, initially or the original idea. And that's really, again, the, the birthplace of save yourself the song, but also save yourself the EP. It was also a, um, an interesting way to, to work those demos out doing our work at home because I could sit out in my, my shop slash garage building with my drum setup and I could just play it, listen to it, play it, listen to it. And, you know, in a in a two hour time, I could play the song 25 times and pick the one I like without, you know, in a studio when you're w dealing with a bunch of other people and you're dealing with the band and you're dealing with the producer and all that stuff. But when you're by yourself, you can go, OK, I don't like that. OK, I like that. OK, I don't like that. And then it was an interesting process for getting those songs fleshed out before we went into the real studio. So I, I kind of enjoyed that, actually. And we're planning on taking that process sort of moving forward and incorporating that how we do even post-COVID. 
I was just going to say, you must be longing for times like that again, because we're so used to hearing how hard it was for musicians during COVID. You know, there was no gigs, all all that that we've heard. But you never actually think of how easy it must have been to create music. You know, the amount of time you would have had on your hands. Oh, yeah. 24 hours a day, seven days a week for like a year and a half of doing nothing. And there's definitely, you know, I mean... One can't uh, under, uh, we can't sell short how difficult that time period was and how uh, tragic it was for so many people. At the same time, I think, you know, we all were forced to live a different way. And I think there were some silver linings where um, each of us had to find ways to adapt and we've carried those things forward. I mean, I think it's happening in business as well as people's personal life. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe about the, the cover of the EP, I think, sort of speaks to this. It's sort of light at the on, on the horizon a little bit. And um, it was sort of how do we get through this and how do we find those places of light and places to move forward to? And um, yeah, that process was very beneficial. And, and this EP uh, is very um, much influenced uh, by what we were going through in that time and the mindset, the emotional set and the way that we worked. Yeah. And when can we expect the EP? Is there a, a launch date set in stone for it yet? No launch date set in stone, but uh, first quarter of 24 is uh, what we believe maybe the second, third week of February. That's not locked down, but in that time frame. Right. right. What kind of things go into planning the launch of an EP these days? You know, uh, I think with us, we're doing this a little bit differently than we have in the past. Um, you know, we're sort of making this compromise between people just releasing singles. And and I think as a band, we really appreciate the longer format of um, an EP and or an album. Um, you know, we're a little bit older and I think that's where we came from. And that's informed, you know, how we think about music. And um, so what we're doing now is releasing three singles, the ones we'll play today and uh, prior to the release of the actual EP. And so being able to have the time, the, the runtime before uh, EP released, actually get these three singles out. Each will have a video. Also um, we will have a save yourself video releasing here relatively soon. The launch date is not exactly set stone we're waiting on a few things, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's all that pre-planning and, and that's something a little bit newer for us, or at least for myself. Uh, we've usually just dropped a, a release and then started putting singles out from that release. And we're doing a little bit differently. And uh, it, it's it's exciting, you know, rolling up and working up towards the release with all these pre-releases of the singles. The, the, the way that the business is now where so much stuff is based on streaming and everything is mostly online that you, you have to make a decision whether you want hard you know handheld music or just streaming music and and because of the streaming music it's almost easier just to release a song every three or four months than it is to put a whole record together but like glenn said because we're of an age where we love having albums and cds and stuff that's kind of the still the way we see that music should be put out but you know it's it's just an even mixture of of the 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 old ways and trying to maintain uh, a band and a music 
career in quotes there in 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 the modern age so i think glenn pretty pretty much nailed it there do you think it's actually worth it though for bands to release physical copies of their music these days when streaming is free well i think that the the, the one thing about that kind of stuff is that when you're actually playing a show it's 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 cool to have something to offer somebody you know say hey we got a table back there we have two or three cds we have um vinyl records you know because you know sometimes it is cool just to have something to to look at and to, to hold in your hand which is you know the the idea of everything just being floating around in a, in a cloud is 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 it, it's the modern way but it's it's also to me it's lacking in something where a, a record is is it's it's you know i mean to not get too sentimental but a record is a piece of art you know you have your cover you you take the time and the, the effort and the energy to come up with the everything from the picture to the font to the to the way the the credits are i mean everything is is thought out so when you can give somebody something and and you know you're you're offering your 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 work to them and that's different than just hearing it if that makes sense you know i i mean i guess it's kind of the way i see it you know well and also i think you know i think your question is is good um in that you said worth is it worth it to a band and and that to me is a little bit of a interesting term because what is it worth to a band to release something i've I won't mention any names, but I've listened to several legacy acts uh, talk about how it just doesn't make sense for them to get together and record uh, because of the way that the industry is and they can't uh, monetize it the way that they had used to be able to. And um, I think about these phenomenal players that have this rich history and they're making a decision not to get into a room together to create because it's quote unquote not worth it to them because of the dynamics of the industry. Where it's worth it to us is because this is in our DNA. Um, we can't stop doing this, and that's why we are still together. And all of us started playing in our teens, and we're in bands since our teens. And um, you know, now we're at an age where we don't have to do this, but it's worth it to be in the room with the other guys in Palooka and create these things and get in the studio and flush these things out. And then, you know, there's something remarkable to me about sitting down with a guitar and an emotion and then introducing that to a band and the band making it so much better and then getting in a recording studio and turning it into this grand thing that was hard to imagine when you're sitting on a couch with a guitar so many months before and then playing it in front of a bunch of people who get are getting into it that's the worth for me. And so that's one of those terms that is self-defined by everybody. So I think for a lot of bands, it's not worth it to them to release a physical product for Palooka. It is. Mm, I gotcha. I gotcha. And, you know, you mentioned the music videos. I have to ask, what can we expect from the music video for save yourself when it dropped? Did you go down the whole route of its images of you guys playing live or did you create a story for the video? Well, we have a we have a friend uh, named Ryan, and uh, he works at Hemp Films. It's his it's his baby, and we've had luck working with him in the past. And you know, we want to sort of have this this sort of theme and feel that we think um, works with the music. And so, we actually 
are doing some live stuff. It's not in the live show context, but it is us actually um, playing to the music and uh, with some really nice sort of moody in, uh, imagery that I think really fits with the song. So um, we're really proud of this video. It's um, it's similar. We did a head in the clouds video off our last um, EP, all those things left behind. And um, it, it's more similar to that where it's us individually playing them with interspersed other scenes. And um, again, we're, we're really excited about it. And I think it captures the mood of the music very well. It's not just sort of, arbitrary imagery thrown at a piece of music. It, I think the two work really well hand in hand. Right, right. I'm looking forward to seeing it now. I can't wait for it to come out. And I can't move on without mentioning London Bridge Studio. You recorded the EP there. You also recorded your last album there. For those of us that have never set foot in the place, what is it like? Tell us all about it. <laughs> Take it, Jason. Well, it's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's, you know, obviously a legendary place where a lot of um, pretty huge records were made. Um, and, and it's, it's, when you're in there, it, it, it you, you get the vibe. It has that, that feeling and it, and it's, and the, the interesting thing is even if the, those records weren't made there, it's a great facility, the building, the, the, in, the, 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 where you set the drums up, um, the, the sound you get, uh, Everything about it is 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 just conducive to making great music, and then when you add on the fact that there's this spirit of these other great bands and records that were made there, that that really kind of pushes it over the top. When you're waiting for Chuck to put down a vocal take, or or Chris or Glenn are working on their guitars, or or when Howard was doing a bass take, and you're sitting in the lounge, and there's like gold and platinum records all over the place, it, it kind of it kind of puts an interesting perspective on it because you know you're you know you're in a building where history was made and you're just you're just trying to be a part of it and and make your own little piece of history if if you if you can and and you know the expectations of greatness are all over the place in in that building and we really enjoy working there we've we've gone back and uh and we have a great producer that we work with jonathan Plum, who who gets us and works well with us and gets the best performances out of us and then you know and then also lets us kind of um be the judge of our own takes and things like that so it's 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 really conducive for making excellent music that i can say that for sure Right, right. Will you guys be making it your home base, so to speak, for recording? Will you constantly go back there for every record? I'm not sure. You know, we've. I don't. I'm not sure we've made like a declarative sort of decision about that. However, um, sort of to add on to what Jason was saying is it's it's this place with all this lore um, as well as just phenomenal recording equipment. Excuse me, uh, a really nice giant live room. Um, and all like the gold records and the history, but Jonathan Plum and, and um, the people at London Bridge make it also very approachable. It's not stuffy. Um, and so it's an incredibly comfortable environment to record in. And, and um, if I were a betting man, I bet we'd be back there for our next release. Right. Good to hear. Good to hear. And, you know, 
I have to mention, this EP is somewhat of a comeback for Palooka. You were getting known a few years ago and then tragedy struck. Tell us about that time for the band and how it affected us. Uh, well, I, a lot of these things are not necessarily connected. Um, things just sort of happened in a certain, uh, time frame, but weren't necessarily directly connected to the band. Um, you know, obviously we had COVID and that affected everybody the way that it did. Uh, we have, uh, our, our previous singer, Paul Passarelli, um, unfortunately has passed recently. And, and that is a very difficult personal thing, I think, for all of us, but it was not necessarily directly impactful. It didn't change our dynamic because we weren't working together at the time that he passed, but um, still great friends and uh, a huge amount of respect for the person. Um, and I, I think the way those things at least impact me personally, um, and can't not impact my writing is just realizing how uh, precious this thing we get life is and how fleeting it is. And I think it's very easy to take a lot of things for granted in this world. And um, I think when you, uh, when you lose somebody like that, um, it, it does, it has to sort of focus your attention to the fact that again, this is uh, this is a great gift that we have. And, not only life itself, but again, coming back to where it does impact the band. It's like, I get to do this with, you know, for my best buddies and um, people that I musically respect as well as personally respect. And I think those things become more in focus, at least for myself. I getcha. I getcha. Jason, anything you'd like to add? Well, um, just that that lo losing Paul as a person was pretty tragic and sad in itself, and and he had had a really long, pretty storied career here in Seattle. He was a he was a known guy. He he was in bands back. I mean, he's our age, so he was in bands when we were in bands back in the eighties and stuff. So he was a a a. a, a pretty known presence in the Seattle scene. So just the, the, the absence of him in general was kind of a huge gap, but you know, it, it's, it's sad, but it happens. I don't know. It's, 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 it's just tragic. I'm sorry. He's gone. Um, <clears throat> and before we move on, we're going to, Premiere F Mind. Before we take a listen to it, do you want to tell us a bit about this track? This was basically brought in by our singer Chuck, and uh, he's an excellent songwriter. He he brings things in, and and they they immediately gel with the band. He's a great lyricist. He's obviously a great singer, um, and he'll have everything from the the the, the basic guitar, bass, drums, parts, the melodies, the vocals, everything. And then we basically just have to kind of learn it and then put our own spin on it. Uh, Glenn, do you have anything to add to that? I, I agree with all that. And I, I think in addition, um, I, I think this is a reflection on um, observationally, 
you know, some of the ways that our world is changing and um, some of the voices that get amplified in our society that uh, make you question if people have lost their mind. And uh, yeah, I, I think Chuck does a really good job with flushing that concept out. And the song also, again, I think very much so with this Holy P, I really feel the mood of these songs being captured well. You know, when you're when you're doing these things, you hope you uh, do these songs justice. And I believe that F Mind is one of those examples where the mood I think is really caught well by the band and the recording process. And you know, with working with Jonathan, the whole thing came out I think as well as it could have been, and it, it's it's on point with that mood.
Now, you guys have mentioned that you're all veterans of the Seattle scene. You've been around since the pre-grunge days. Personally, I thought there was just silence in Seattle before grunge. <laughs> what was the music scene really like back then? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, uh, I think Jimi Hendrix made a little bit of impact on not silence and uh, the, the sonics. There's so many part. Uh, I think one of the things that to me about grunge is grunge was a time when people outside of Seattle shone a spotlight on Seattle in a moment. But the rich history of music in this area has always been impressive to me, um, still is impressive to me. And I understand that the world's perspective is that it just came out of nowhere and it just popped up in the middle of nowhere. And to me, it was more of a continuation of a spectrum of rich music history in the Seattle and Puget Sound area. And I think um, one of the things that made, I think, grunge unique, at least my perspective when I was playing before that is you really had a lot of people that were dogmatic in either like a very metal sort of oriented uh, scene and a very punk oriented scene. And, and that represented a chunk of the people. But what I think happened during the pre-grunge phase is there's a lot of people in the middle that appreciated both. And I think what you hear is Seattle's interpretation of people influenced by the metal and the punk that came before them and during that time and incorporating it in ways that worked well together. And I think if Seattle did something during the grunge phase that was unique was, you know, again, talking about Irish weather and Seattle weather, you know, you're stuck in your basement for six months with your buddies and you love metal and punk and you're writing tunes. And I think that's really what the world saw was how that co sort of coalesced and became what the world knows is grunge. But I do believe that there was a rich history of music before and after that. I mean, I even to this day, you know, we're going to practice this evening. And one of the things I noticed when I walked through the practice facility is there's all these bands and they're really, a lot of them are really good. And um, so, yeah, that was a moment where the world saw it, but it's a continuation of, I think of a long and rich legacy of Puget Sound music. And let me add some to that because the thing, the thing that it was interesting that you said that there's basically before grunge, what was here. And it was, a, it was a very vibrant music city that it, like Glenn was just saying that the, the, when I moved here, I moved here in October of 1984 and the, the hard rock metal scene was just thriving. There were shows every weekend there were bands um and and exactly what he just said there was a lot of punk music and a lot of hard rock metal music and a lot of those people didn't mix but a lot of them did and a lot of them but like would go to both you know you could go one weekend you're going to see you know kiss at the seattle center coliseum and then the next weekend you're going to see corrosion of conformity or whatever you know it's just like there was such a, a great vibrant scene and then when those the, the the big bands that people finally heard of you know the five major bands or whatever that made it out of here um at that point became the focal point of it but there was a, a i mean he glenn was in a band i was in a band and we were playing constantly we were playing 
shows in, uh, you know, you'd go to, uh, Glenn would play it at skating rinks. You'd play at VFW halls. You'd play in, in, you know, anywhere where you could put a gig together. And it, it was such a, a interesting kind of almost DIY approach, but at the same time, what you consider large band record label corporate rock was huge you know i mean they they were saying that it, it, the number of copies of pyromania that were sold in the northwest everybody would have to have bought it twice i mean th- there was so much music being bought and listened to before the grunge thing happened and 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 i i, I really want to emphasize that it was an amazing time and there were so many cool bands and so much good music and so many good times. That was the thing. People were having fun going to shows, meeting people and just hanging out, going to these events. And it, it, it was so alive. And then the rest of the world kind of caught on when that, when basically what Glenn said, that collision of, punk and metal happened and and it created its own child that has gone to you know grow up and be whatever it is now <laughs> so but it's uh there was a, a really great rock music scene here before grunge that i wish more people knew about well, and to sort of add to the scene comment that Jason said, you know, I just remember, you know, I was sort of in a hard rock band and uh, going to parties in Seattle and uh, being in a basement watching this these guys that are in a punk band, um, several of them together from different punk bands, but that I only knew from being in punk bands that I hadn't really met yet in this basement, hearing them play Aerosmith. And I think that, again, that mutual appreciation of all things rock from the punk to the metal side um, and where that all met in the middle is where, at least from my perspective, where that comes from. You know, for everywhere else in the world, grunge kind of launched Seattle onto the map for people. Do you think there's been any negative impacts of grunge or as a band from Seattle, do you think there's any expectations or pressure for you guys to sound a certain way? I don't know. The, the biggest negative was kind of funny when I saw we have a, a store. It's not around that much anymore, but it was a little bit of a discount store called Kmart and Kmart had the grunge line of these people dressed in, you know, jeans with, flannel shirts tied around their uh waists and it was kind of funny seeing it go to that place go from this local scene that we knew from again watching punk bands play aerosmith in the basement just dressed how people are dressed here to uh then being a look that you could buy a whole ensemble at kmart with that maybe not a negative but it was at least laughable but um i don't know I think like with anything, you can find positive and negatives to it. And I think I would just, you know, maybe some people got some more, not the big bands that came out of here. They obviously had attention focused on them, but maybe one of the positive was things was, is that there were really great musicians that didn't, wouldn't have had a chance to get the exposure that they did 
or uh, opportunities that they did if that hadn't happened. Um, I personally don't see a negative to it. Um, I, I think it's funny when, you know, like, I don't think Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains necessarily sound like the same band or same type of music per se, uh, or Nirvana. I mean, to me, those are all great bands, but they sound different, but somehow they're all sort of thrown into this one category um, because geographically where they came from, uh, again, not a negative, but uh, I think it's an interesting as or, uh, aspect of the grunge thing, but I don't know. I don't, I don't perceive any general negative. And if anything, I think there are positives, a lot of positives to it. Right. Right. And you know, it's called concerts that made us. So I have to ask you guys as concert goers, what concerts have made you? Go Jason. <laughs> okay. You want me to go first? Okay. Let's sure. See. Let's see if I can think back that far. Actually, <laughs> I, I asked you if, if, if this was a visual, um, meeting because i actually dug up my t-shirt from my my <laughs> uh, van my van halen 1981 concert that was i had seen some concerts in i grew up in south carolina i grew up down like conway myrtle beach area so i had seen the rossington collins band and pat travers and stuff like that at the myrtle beach convention center but the first like Coliseum stadium size band was Van Halen in 1981. And uh, it was one of those things where you go and you're there. And when it's over, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make I statements. I was there. I, I was, when it was over, I was thinking to myself, I could live like this every night. I could be here doing this every night. And that's what those guys do. They're here every night. They get to do this every night. And it was such a profound um, realization of what you, what's the possibility. The possibility is, is if you, if you're, if you work hard and you're in the right band, you can, you can do this. So that, that 1981 Van Halen concert was, was an eye opener. But then, you know, I, I went from, being a huge Van Halen fan to uh, when the first Motley Crue record came out, that kind of blew my mind. And I was living in, in Myrtle Beach and they were opening for Ozzy Osbourne. The closest that they came was the Omni in Atlanta. So, of course, we get in the car, we drive all the way six hours there, all the way to Atlanta to see Motley Crue open for Ozzy at the Omni in Atlanta. And then drive all the way back and have to go to work the next morning so oh my god <laughs> that was that was a great it was just i mean it's everybody that listens to your show has had an experience where you're just this is change this uh, this moment is changing my life and th those were the two biggest um I because of where I lived, and Glenn has a different situation. Glenn lived here, where you're 30 minutes from the venue. I had to when I lived in in in, in Myrtle Beach. I had to you either had to drive two hours to Fayetteville or 
four hours to Charlotte or, or Greensboro or Columbia to these other bigger cities. It was it was a, a, a trek. You know, you had to put the effort in to go see bands. Pilgrimage. Yes. And so I got to see, you know, I, I got to see, you know, a lot of Iron Maiden, Scorpions, Bon Jovi, uh, Poison and Rat. I mean, all the big bands from the 80s. But, you know, you had to put the effort, you had to drive, you know, Def Leppard. I saw Def Leppard open for Billy Squire, and then they were doing so well on that album, they came back the same year as a headlining act. So I got to see him twice in a year. And um, and it was, you know, before the whole, uh, it was when they were, st- it was uh, it was Pyromania. So it was when they were still, you know, pretty rock and not the kind of, not the kind of, radio rock they became they were they, it was i mean we were super into them because we were like hey man these guys are our age these dudes i mean we're going to see this band and these guys are the same age as we are and they're up there doing it and those concerts at that time go into those and 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 also that feeling when you walk in to the, the when you walk through that doorway into one of those twenty thousand seat arenas it's 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 breathtaking and and i was just back there a couple like three weeks ago and and i always have to drive by the old the old charlotte coliseum on independence boulevard because that's where i saw that concert and i whenever i'm there i drive by and just look at that building and it's still there it's old it's been refurbished a little bit but i'm like that that building, that Charlotte Coliseum was like a Mecca for me. And so, that, oh man, I can just feel it now. I can feel it. You know, just talking about it, I can feel that feeling when you walk in there and you see all those people and when those lights go down and that sound of thousands of people just there, just together to see this event and and then you know there's tons of smaller shows that i've seen that i mean it's hard to list them all off because there's just hundreds of them but just you know speaking of grunge bands i i, I one of the bands i was in here in seattle we ended up one time allison chains played with us and I, glenn's played with allison chains but the old allison chains um we played together and then I didn't see them that much when they were actually progressing through the ranks and getting more and more popular because I w- I'd gone down to Los Angeles for a while. But I remember being at at the uh, at the Scream in Los Angeles and they were in town and I went and saw them. And, and when they were doing some of the songs off that first album, I was just looking at, it, at Lane going, I-, I can't believe that voice is coming out of that dude, that there's something... <laughs> crazy about this and you know something on that level where you're at a club and even if it's somebody you that you you know that you're friends with and you're just mind is being blown at, at, at what they've become so i you know that's a long answer to a short to a short <laughs> but i mean i could sit down and talk about live music shows all day i mean i just it's so fun and interesting and and um and 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 the the other interesting thing was that when i did move to seattle 
it, it was kind of crazy where the concert would be down at the Seattle Center Coliseum and you could get in the car, th- you know, 30 minutes before the door opens and drive down there. And I'm like, oh my God, this is what it's like to live in a city because everything had been so far away for us when, when we were in a small town, you know, everything you had to, I mean, we only got to see cover bands and, and there were, there was no original music. It was all cover bands, though. I will say that going to this place in Myrtle Beach called the Castaways and seeing Circus and Max Warrior and, and some of these other bands w- was so important in my growth as a musician and seeing these bands and these drummers and and just even though most of the songs were covers just seeing guys that could play that well and just having something to aspire to and and just you know it it, it could be anything from a, a a cover band in a in a in a small club to a, a huge band in a in a in a stadium sized setting if if the right band and the right songs and the feel is there it's just magical and I, I, you know it's just it's just like a, a euphoric feeling that you want to live in forever and and that's what i've tried to do you know i just try to maintain that feeling of playing live music and but i'll let glenn talk about his concert so why don't you take it there glenn. <laughs> i'll make it quick i you know when you think of concerts that made us i mean i was a huge kiss fan and i got to see them for the first time in 77 august 12th of 77 and cheap trick opened and uh what a remarkable show and f- for me that sort of i went from being a little kid that you know, got a guitar and started trying to write songs and, and, you know, Kiss was one of my first favorite bands. And, uh, that was, they were a gateway drug for me into music and writing and, and stuff. Um, so seeing that was hugely impactful. And then obviously, you know, cheap trick when they're just coming out of the gate, how powerful they were. Uh, it was just remarkable and very uh, significant juxtaposition against, kind of the bombasticness of kiss with the stripped down sort of um, cheap trick thing was pretty incredible. Um, But when I think of concerts that made us um, a band that I really got into were the angels or angel city uh, as they're called in the United States. And I was one of the first people, things are different now, you know, with seating and stuff. But back in the day, there was a lot of festival seating in, in this neck of the woods where Basically, you got a seat based on where you were in line. So I got into line for Angel City at the Paramount pretty early. And this guy was standing next to me, just happenstance. And we're there for hours just talking. And I really, uh, really resonated with this person. And his name was Rob Weber. And uh, he ends up being in uh, some bands in Seattle, a band called Shadow uh, that Mike McCready, who went on to uh, be in Pearl Jam, uh, was in. Uh, but he also was very uh, impactful on introducing me to people. A guy named Steve Van Lu, who was in a band that I did some, was sort of my first big real band. Um, I met through him. And s- some of the friends that I still have to this day were, I met through basically that interaction of sit, standing next to a person in a line. And it really was life changing, not only from a musical sense, but people I know, people I've worked with, people I've created with, 
my musical path. So those would probably be the two that I would say would stand up most at concerts that at least made me. That's some amazing answers there. And with uh, with Jason, the imagery, you were transporting me back to that time, I have to say. <laughs> well, it's it's yeah, that first time you walk into a, a Coliseum, it's just it's you're just like, oh, my God. Definitely, definitely. And Glenn, you mentioned Kiss. I have to ask, they're in the news recently. They've finished their farewell tour and they've announced that they're going to be a virtual band. Now, what do you make of that? Oh, I wish they'd just retire from making money. You know, it's just, um, it's not my cup of tea. Uh, you know, I, I became a Kiss fan back in the early 70s. And to me, their first, you know, going through Destroyer, that was just a magical period uh, in a band that I thought was gritty, uh, that wrote more than just sort of uh, music to accompanying a money-making effort. They were, I mean... The stuff on the first album, Hotter Than Hell, uh, you know, these some really cool, gritty rock songs about um, some sort of content with some sort of um, gravitas at times, you know, like, I don't know. And maybe that's a big word to use for Kiss. But I think they've just kind of they became what they were accused of being a style over substance. And to me, this is just another evolution of that. So I don't begrudge Kiss for wanting to make the money or the people it resonates with. But for me, it doesn't really do much. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. And I'm looking forward to this part now for any listeners that haven't caught one of your shows. What can they expect? Well, I think that we 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 try to, without sounding too uh, self-aggrandizing, I guess, I think we try to write music that's honest, uh, that kind of comes from a real world perspective. And I think our live show reflects that. I think you're looking at five rock fans that um, this means a lot to. And I think we put 110 percent into what we do um musically as well as when we get on that stage it's a privilege for me to be on that stage and it's it's a privilege that people will take time out of their their busy lives to come and and see what we do and experience this live event with us and so i want to make sure that they're getting everything that they want out of the experience and i i think we deliver that now obviously there's taste some people may or may not like our music but it's it's not from lack of honest intent and uh i think people see that and the people we resonate with that um i think they get that and that's why we resonate with them it's a high energy show high energy show for sure yeah and 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 it's one of those things where even at this point in life um and even after playing so many shows i i always tell people when i'm talking about playing live shows it's like i, I don't sit down on that drum stool unless i'm ready to give 150 percent. it's like i don't care if i'm tired i don't care if i'm this i'm that and, and you know i'm like i'm like a musical cheetah I, I don't do much but when it's time to go i'm ready to go and when i sit down <laughs> the chase is on so <laughs> there you go well i only give 110 percent, so he gives 40 percent more than i do so so pick up your game, all right? Come on. I got to get cheetah light. Yeah, there you go. People are surprised that I can move that fast. 
<laughs> oh man and you know when you think of all the gigs that you guys have played is there one that sticks out as the most perfect experience you've had oh man i'd have to pick uh, that through. go ahead jason i <laughs> uh wow i don't know i'd have to think it let me think on that give me just a split second do you have an answer you know, uh, I'm having a hard time coming up with one show. Um, we, we've been able to play with some people that um, were really impactful to us that we're fans of. And uh, some of those shows, you know, especially because when we play with them, they also bring a great crowd. Uh, you know, we have our fans that come out to see us. But then I think we, you know, we obviously get a bump off of when you play with a Michael Shanker or somebody like that. And I always think that, from the crowd reaction, it's gratifying when people resonate. They didn't come to see us necessarily, not all of them. Uh, but then I think they go home thinking about us and, and we'll get bumps on our socials and, and streams and downloads and stuff after those things. So um, those type of shows, you know, we've, we had a show, a really good show with Buck Cherry at um, a place called El Corazon in Seattle, where the crowd, I think, we completely resonated with them and, and the pop from the crowd was just amazing. And that's, that's the thing is to me, it's not necessarily one show over the other. It's when you hit that, that give and take with the audience. And uh, again, that Buck Cherry show at uh, El Corazon, we played with them a couple times, but uh, the second one in particular, um, that's just, just magic. Yeah, I, I, we have got, we have been able to play with some known bands and, and those are, those are fun for various reasons. But I guess if I had to think about when I was in the zone and, and I felt like we were, I don't know, Glenn, when we, that, that Numo show with Hell's Bells, we, oh, we yeah, because we recorded that. And then when we listened to it back, it was just like, oh my God, man, we're, this is, this is happening. We're on. And uh, the sound, it was a, it's a, it was a big, it's a great room, a big room, and and the sound was just killer. And I think that as far as sound wise, and and that's one of my that was one of my favorites. Um, I'm trying to remember some of these because we, you know, that's you know, that's a good one too. That reminds me, Jason, of uh, on our first album, we had a song called Saving Grace, and uh, first album's called What's Wrong with Wanting Everything, and. Um, there's this part in Saving Grace where it goes down right before it comes back up for a kind of a fairly aggressive end. And seeing a whole room of people just pogoing to that um, and the sound that made, uh, I have to be, yeah, I agree with you, Jason. That was an incredible experience. Yeah, that was a good night. I think it, whenever it's, whenever it, you know that it sounds good and it's not because whether we're playing good or bad it's it's the, the it's hard to explain i mean um if people that are hearing this that have been in bands will know exactly what i'm talking about when you're on the stage and there's some issue monitor issue where you're just up there and you're you're playing but you're not you're having a hard time getting into the song because you can't hear it that well but then people will tell you out front, oh, yeah, it sounded great. And you're like, okay, well, good, because it didn't sound great where I was sitting. But then there's nights where you sit down and the monitors are just awesome. And you're so in 
beside the song you know you're just living in the song and the 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 kick drum is just pounding and the and the snare and the the guitars are mixed perfectly and you can hear the singing and you're it's just you're so you're so inside of something that you are doing and that's what to me what makes a great night and and we have had some luck at el corazon as he mentioned as glenn mentioned because they do have a pretty good monitor system there um so you know some of our 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 best shows to the listening crowd may not have been the best shows to us and some of the best shows to us you know are it's it's so dependent on the 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 actual sound system and sometimes you can play in a kind of a rinky dink place but if the crowd's into it and if you're having fun and 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 you just feel like you're on fire that that makes a great night too i mean there's there's multiple different combinations that can make memorable shows but that 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 one with the hell's bells sticks out to me because the sound was just so big and and it, it felt like you were playing in one of those giant coliseums because the sound was so loud that's an interesting one now we'll switch that question around is there a gig that you would say was the worst experience you've had and how did you <laughs> overcome it <laughs> Okay, you got time for a long list. Oh, wow. uh, no. Um, I would say one of our last shows was pretty miserable for me because <laughs> the drum the drum monitor was 15 feet away from the side of my face. So I, I, I was just, it's one of those ones where you click in and you, you have to actually hum the song to yourself so you can remember where you are because you can't even hear the music. I mean, you you can... It's ridiculous for somebody to say you can't hear it. It's just, it's undecipherable where in the song you are. It just sounds like a bunch of noise. And 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 if you've been in a band and you know that experience, then you know what I'm talking about. But I have to really kind of bear down and and kind of sing the the, the words and 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 hum the melodies to myself just to just so I know where I am. And that happened a, a couple shows back where we we walked off the stage and i was just like I, I i don't even know what just happened but people out front said it sounded pretty good so i'll take it you know i'll put and it in the wind the tall. recording of it actually sounded pretty good too so and i think kind of going back to the last question is when you know that's the thing is when you're doing this you have to obviously overcome the technical difficulties because the people out front don't necessarily care they're they're there for a certain experience and so you're doing your best to um give them that experience. However, when there's technical stuff going on, like Jason said, it sort of takes you out of the moment when those things don't exist and you can just go up there and play inside the song and, and just, you know, share that experience with everybody out front. Those are again, the memorable shows. So I, I'm with Jason. I can't really think of maybe specific shows. I can think of, I think I, the one he's talking about, I completely agree. Um, but again, it sounded pretty good out front from the recording. So I'll, I'll take it. And, and and a lot of times to 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 uh, to us the musicians the band, if somebody hits a, a sour note or if if somebody if something slightly goes wrong, it feels in the moment like a total disaster. But it's not. It's a very small thing. But but you practice and you practice and you practice and you're like, I can't believe you did that. And it's just like, 
you know, you're, you're just sitting there watching every, for me, for the drummer, see, I, I can, I'm listening to everybody and I'm just, I'm like a school mom taking notes, but at the end of the show, <laughs> does it really matter as long as the people out front enjoyed it and everything? It's fine. That's it. That's it. And you know, when you think of the future then, how would you like Palooka to evolve over, say, the next five years? What would the band look like? Ooh. Uh, you know, we sort of, we talk about this as being the coalition of the willing. And uh, my hope is, is that we still want to do this um, in five years. And, and I think every band has to decide how long they keep doing something. And the great thing about our model is we don't have to do it. We are purely doing this because of what the music and what the relationship between each of us are and is. Um, and so it's hard for me to actually think about not doing this. Um, so it's hard for me also to project five years in the future. But five, if you would ask me five years ago, would I still be doing this? You know, I, I don't know if I could have given you an answer. And, you know, as as you get older, you start looking at literally the age that's on your driver's license and stuff and going, wow, am I still doing this at this age? Um, but I also don't feel much different than I did when I was 15 and 16 playing music. You know, obviously from the outside, I'm, I'm different. But, you know, I think all of us understand that concept of we're not so different than we were in, in when we were younger. And I don't feel like walking away from this anytime soon so to i guess more directly answer your question i hope i'm still doing this with these people and still am enriched by it and still wanting to do it because of the richness of the experience and the richness of the music and i can't envision that not being the case but you know you never know what the future holds no i agree and 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 you know it's it's i hope that it, it the best that you can hope is that you evolve musically and that you grow and that you and your songwriting um can can reflect whatever mood or the time that you're in at that moment and um you know we've had some good songs to come out of some pretty sad moments but we've also had songs come out of just thin air that just don't really attach to any real incident or feeling they're just kind of evolve out of a thought but in, in you know five years from now i don't know it, you know the cheetah is going to have to spend some time on the on the treadmill because i got to stay in shape <laughs> <laughs> music this heavy five years from now <laughs> the gym works just keep working out doing some exercising i didn't even have to think about that 20 years 30 years ago but now i'm like okay but you know i look at somebody like tommy aldridge and i'm like how the hell does that guy still do it and he's he's just stayed fit and he's just when you do it that much you just you, you can't not so as long as i can just keep playing and and you know maintain my health and i i, I don't see why not i don't I, I don't see a point where all of a sudden i'll not want to play music or be involved my problem is is i like music too much i i'm you know i'll be sitting around i'm i'm 
I should learn how to play guitar. I should learn how to play piano. I should learn how to, you know, I, I was just at somebody's house and, and the woman that lives there plays the flute. And I'm just looking at that flute going, I should pick that flute up and try to teach myself how to play. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to put my mouth on somebody else's flute. But, you know what I'm I, But that, 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 that raw to just any instrument, I just want to pick it up and, make some kind of sound with it whether it's good or bad i don't know but i love music and i'll keep doing it as long as i can until i either can't hear or just can't physically do it you're a flute playing cheetah with a heart full of napalm jason there you go man there you go. I like it. I like it. <laughs> and <laughs> before we dive into the last couple of questions, then plans for 2024. I know the EP is coming out, music videos. Is there any gigs or anything you'd like to tell us about? Right now, uh, we are just starting to book for 2024, and there's nothing we can announce yet. But uh, I, I see us sort of the spring time frame on uh, playing a little bit more. I think. Uh, what is that one show that we have? We have one show, right? Well, yeah, with... we can't we, we can't announce that. So, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's we can't announce that yet. And there's a few other things in the hopper, um, but I am really interested in writing again. The creative um, appreciation I have of this entity is something I, I'm really excited about working with, and you know to a lot of people they're just hearing the culmination of what we have done in the past with this ep getting released you know but we've been writing the whole time and uh i would not be surprised if we're in the studio recording a full-length album before the end of 2024 uh that would be my um preference so and we've also talked about maybe looking at doing a live album uh we have a lot of material we've been around for a little bit and you know, we have two full length albums and, you know, some EPs. And I think it'd be nice to be able to put the spotlight on that whole collection of music. And I think a live release would allow us to do that. So that's something we've kicked around for a couple of years. I wouldn't be surprised if we get closer to making that a reality in 2024. Yeah, I would really enjoy that. Making a live recording. Be a hell of a fun time anyway. And uh, we'll uh, we'll dive into the last couple of questions. So these are a couple of random, weird music questions, but I'm looking forward to hearing your answers. If you could, uh, if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? You know, I I would cheat on this because I've lost some friends, so I'd love to go back and see them play. Um, but if I were not going to cheat, <laughs> um, I I would really love to see ACDC with Bon Scott and Thin Lizzy with Phil. Uh, and that actually has been bills that have come through Seattle um, at different times. To me, that would be remarkable. Definitely. Definitely. Wow. Um, the first thing that pops off the top of my head is that if, if I could have been at the concert at Madison Square Garden that's in the film, The Song Remains the Same, I would have loved to have been there see that because i'm a huge zeppelin fan um i wish i could have seen leonard skinner in there when they were you know the original band um i uh wow um 
Yeah, I'd have to say, I, I wish I could have seen Zeppelin at that at that moment, you know, right around 71, 72. That, that would be, I don't know. I wish I could have seen Queen at a, at a very specific time, you know, when they were young and firing on all four pistons. Uh, that's a tough question because there's so many great bands, you know, it's just... The, the the regional bands when i was growing up in south carolina when we had bands like mother's finest and nantucket bands like that where you have been able to see them when they were young you know because those were bands that they put out records and they were on major labels but they were they were regional southeast bands um that i could have seen had i had the inclination to see live music at a younger age that's the thing that always that I always kick myself in the ass about is that all the concerts I could have seen that I just didn't even have the wherewithal to to make it happen, you know. But can't really do anything about that. That's 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 in the same ballpark of the question of who could you see if you could go back in time. Well, you know, that's a wishful thinking answer. So I don't know. I would say that 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 night that they filmed the the movie I, I would have liked to have been there that would yeah. have been pretty awesome yeah some good picks there now here's where the weird part comes in if you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician from history who would you pick oh man Glenn you want to take that one first <laughs> uh, you know again I could cheat and say some friends that are no longer here but um, oh man that, that's a tough one I would say, I think Phil, I'll go with Phil Limit. You know, I think he would be a, he'd have a lot of good stories. And, uh, you know, and there's so much depth to his songwriting that, you know, as a songwriter, I would love to pick his brain on that, that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, he's sort of a, a well-rounded package of a, obviously a, a kind of a, a fun party guy, at least at one point in time in his life and um, the content of what he created. And to me, that would, wouldn't just be hearing wacky story after wacky story and have a little bit more depth. And I think it's sustained longer than a, an hour or two conversation. I'll go with Phil. I like it. That's a good answer. <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that's another tough one. I don't know. I mean, I, I listened to your, to, to your podcast and, and I heard you ask that to somebody else so of course I was like oh my god when he asked me that what am I gonna and I started <laughs> I, you know of course my mind just goes into funny places I'm like well could I spend 24 hours alone with Jim Morrison even though it might be interesting it, it could make me just want to reach over and kill the guy but, <laughs> but then I also was listening to another music podcast and the guest was Susanna Hoffs and I'm like, if I could spend 24 hours just listening to her talk, it would be very soothing and relaxing because her speaking voice is so on point. But, wow, I don't know. That's a tough one. Uh, I'd like to say I'd, it'd be fun to hang out with John Bottom, but he's been known to get kind of crazy too. You know, it's 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 your... It's one of those things where the the idea of talking music or having an interesting conversation with somebody, but 
but for 24 hours, it's got to be somebody that can maintain a certain amount of coolness about it, or it could get pretty hectic in that room. So, but I don't know. Uh, oof. Right off the top of my head, uh, I don't know. I, I would like to spend time with John Bonham and just talk to him about drums and, and, his life in general and, and, and his knowing that he didn't love flying and I don't love flying and knowing that he worked with, he had a farm and I, I kind of live on a farm and, you know, it's, it's somebody who has a similar uh, interest and maybe if we could be in the room and there was no alcohol in the room, me and me and John bottom could have a good time. Just, rapping like a couple of drummers so I like yeah. it. I like it. interesting what you said about Jim Morrison though because I feel like nobody ever thinks about that because you know it'd have to be someone that isn't going to get on your nerves you know like it's someone you look I up know. to but on a personal level they have to be somewhat normal you know right well I love the doors and 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 he's he's an interesting and he's smart but he knows he's smart, so he can be intellectually abusive to people if he thinks he has the mm. upper hand on them. So if he could just sit there and we could just, you know, talk about music and life and stuff and pontificate, it might be kind of fun. But if he if he started getting obnoxious and then I'd I'd have to I'd have to bounce him out the room. <laughs> well that's the tough thing is because some of these people are your quote-unquote heroes and sometimes the best thing is not to actually meet them and mm, you know to right. keep that arm length distance from them I, I had a chance to meet um and talk at length uh with paul stanley and gene simmons at one point in time in 79 for about 20 minutes um just kind of hanging out in the same area and i couldn't have been happier with the people that at least interacted with me and a couple other friends. So that can go two ways. It can be something that bolsters your opinion of these heroes or can completely shatter what you think of them. So that's another reason that it's a tough question. Yeah, exactly. And the final one, what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Oh man. Any song? Yeah. Any song at all can even be Beethoven or Mozart. Oh, wow. Well, normally I would say Shakedown by the Hypnotics, um, which I still will. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hate to I hate to be sounding self-aggrandizing, but I wrote a song called What's Wrong With Wanting Everything. It appears on our first album. It's the cover title or cover. Uh, it's the title track off, our, off that album. And I like kind of the message of it you know it, it talks about you know living life to the fullest and understanding that it's a finite thing but trying to you know um just trying to get the most out of it and i like that concept brilliant brilliant that's a good answer it is it is <laughs> and we're going to close out the show with uh cut you out of me would you like to tell us a bit about it before it plays um, yeah, it's it's one of those songs that uh, it, it came from 
that time period when I was living on the island by myself, I was also uh, recently out of a long-term relationship. And it was about the understanding that the relationship should have come to an end. Uh, but still, that's how somebody leaves an imprint on you. And maybe the logical choice of not being in the relationship is, is a good one. But the imprint and the, the trail of, of what somebody that was close to you for an extended period of time, that just doesn't evaporate. And it's, it's trying to manage that situation and take the power back. Um, it's, it's definitely not a, it's not a mean song. Uh, as it could potentially sound uh, from a breakup is more just about coming to terms with the fact that life has to move on and how that impression that somebody leaves with you, how you deal with that. Sleep it all, these dreams at night. 
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here.